0: Good morning, church family. Aren't you glad to be with the saints this morning? You know, Jesus begins by saying, I tell you, my friends, my friends, isn't it a good thing to be a friend of Jesus? Can I get somebody to testify in here? Isn't it a good thing to be a friend of Jesus? It's a good thing. And that's where Jesus begins this morning. But before I begin, I want to spend some time in prayer. Because we need God's help this morning. Hey, there's a lot of hard warnings in this text. But one thing I want you to know is that this is filled with grace. Grace. This morning, this text is full of the grace of the Lord. Yes, there's challenges, but there's many encouragements. Yes, there is calling to faithfulness and challenge, but there's all kinds of mercy. And I want us to see that this morning. And so I want to pray. And I want you to pray fervently for yourself that you will believe this truth, because it will change your life. Do you believe that, church? No, no, for real, do you believe that? It'll change your life. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the division and the marrow. My friends, it will change your life. This ain't even in my text. I haven't even started yet. (laughs) And I'm fired up. Listen, this is going to change your life like it's changed mine. So I want to pray. Would you bow your head with me and believe this this morning? Father, we cannot understand your word apart from your grace. Father, in this text, so many people were confused about who you were. And yet, you continue to press forward and press on. You continue to reveal who you were to us and who you are to us. And Father, I pray today that you would illuminate these scriptures for us. That we may understand what it means. And Father, would you help me as John Mark was just praying, Lord, to speak only what you want me to say. (laughs) And nothing more. Lord, I do not want glory for myself. I want your name to be hollow. And so, Father, I pray this morning. That people would see they do not have to fear. There's nothing anyone in this world can do to them. And nothing that even Satan himself can do. But we should fear you. And so, Father, I just want to help us to see this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, do not fear, do those, not fear those who, can kill, the who body, can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Jesus begins his talk to this crowd with a warning to his disciples and to the crowd. Jesus, in verse 4, turns to his disciples. I'm going to drill this home again and says, My friends, do you hear the love and care? already from Jesus? It is truly amazing that Jesus would call us friends. After all that we've done to disappoint him and to let him down, Jesus still turns and says, my friends. Friends, this is indeed a large crowd. A huge crowd. But he doesn't want his disciples to miss This important message. And so while he is doing what many of us do, which is minister to the masses, he has some lenses on that help him to think. And like a master disciple maker, he's thinking about his disciples amongst the masses of crowds. He's giving out super dope discipleship lessons. Jesus in this passage also deals out some real warnings. Verse 8 says, And I tell you, everyone, everyone. But while he's doing this, he's also giving some really deep discipleship truths, some deep theological truths, some encouragements to his disciples to root them in times of trouble. These truths are meant to give his disciples Significant challenge to remain faithful, give them confidence in the sovereignty of God's plan and to comfort them that they will receive assistance in their time of need. And as they would reflect on these teachings, the same things that their master would face, namely misrepresentation, beatings, sufferings, and uh, subsequent persecutions, and ultimately murder on the cross down the road. He does this all while putting everyone on alert in the crowd who might have a prideful and arrogant heart towards him and who are in danger of darkening their hearts to the point of no return. So he begins with a warning and some commands to his friends. Verse 4 says, Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you to whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you fear him. What does he mean here? He means this. Those human rulers, authorities, synagogue leaders, politicians, presidents, kings, powers and principalities only have the ability to do one thing. There are limits to what man and spiritual enemies can do to you. They can only touch your body. But they have no claim over your soul, like God does. Only God has claim over your soul. See, some theologians believe that the one to fear here is Satan. But I do not believe that's what Jesus is saying here, along with the majority of theologians. Here's why. Because of the subsequent text, Next, in verses 6 and 7, in which they're talking about, Jesus is talking about God. Also, Scripture interprets Scripture. And so there's no supporting evidence in Scripture that Satan has the authority to cast anyone into hell. But there is for the Lord. So he says here... Fear God alone. Why is this important for us as Jesus' friends to learn? There's God, and then there's everything else. Everything else has the authority to kill you, but can't touch you later. And God has the ability to do both. Who then, church... Should we be most afraid of? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Duane. Yeah, yeah. You can speak up. Talk to me, Duane. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yes, that's the answer. God. What Jesus is trying to do is reorient us. Reorient his people to some truths that are all over the Bible, which are related to our understanding or knowledge of how to be before God. Proverbs 1-7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Okay. Not with knowledge. Knowledge. If we, if then we get this, then we have our priorities straight, friends. Hey, I used to memorize it as wisdom too. But actually it's knowledge. And the, the Greek word probably points to knowledge more. So, hey, don't worry about it. Yeah, it happens. I mix up my scripture memory all the time, man. Friends, there's only one power and one person who has the authority to send to hell. The word here for hell is only used one time in Luke's gospel, and it's here. It was a place just outside of Jerusalem that was a burning garbage heap that Israel's wicked kings used for idol worship and infant sacrifice to Molech in the valley of Hinnom. And so it became the place called Gehenna, and that's what the word today is, Gehenna. It would have been a terrible place in the mind of the hearer, what it seemed like an ever-burning fire. And it would have created a terrible scene in the hearer's mind, by which Jesus is telling them that there's no other than God who has the authority to send people to such a place. Jesus is saying, start there. Fear that all-powerful God. He is the one that can cast into hell. Fear Him alone. You hear that church? But what's really awesome about this is this. That's the warning. You guys hearing that? That's the warning. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Aren't you glad about that? God is truly scary. And not to be played with, and to be feared, and worshiped for his mighty power. But that is not all there is to God. The next verse gives great comfort and points to another important truth about God. Which is that although God is all-powerful, he intimately knows you. And not one of you will be forgotten before him. Isn't that beautiful? Look at verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows, sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. Mm, 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 mm. You see, what is great about this all-powerful controller of the universe who has complete authority to send you wherever he wants to is that he is also the one who intimately knows you cares for you and values you deeply isn't that great news? what's great about the richness of the saying is this first Five sparrows are sold for two pennies. See, a penny back then was one sixteenth of a denarius. So much like our penny today, it's like nothing. You find those all outside the parking lot, you just kind of step over them things, right? And, y'all remember, y'all, y'all remember, uh, penny candy? This just made me think about this. Do y'all remember penny candies? Like you go to the store, I remember going to my grandma's house, and uh, going around the block, and uh, there was a convenience store on the north side of Tulsa. And we would walk in there, and I don't even know if this is legal or not, but there would be these little packages of now You know what I'm saying, Dwayne? Dwayne, you know what I'm talking about. Packages of now outside of the package, you know how they're supposed to be in like one big package? No, they were like the individual wrappers that they took out of it and put in a... Anyway, yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, too. I don't even know why I'm talking about this right now. <laughs> Pennies, yes. Pennies. They would just throw away. My My grandma, she didn't have a lot of money. But she'd be like, here, take some of these pennies, go to the store, go get this, right? These sparrows are some of the cheapest birds you could buy at the market. They were bony, not the choices of meat. They were so cheap that you could buy two and get one free. Yeah, had a coupon back in the day. They did sales and stuff, y'all. But listen, what he's saying is this. Not one of these, not even the one that you got for free, not one of these will be forgotten by your God. Oh, hey, church, I I need you to hear this. Not one, not one that was even the one for free is forgotten and not valued by God. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much he cares for his people. Do you believe that, church? Second, in their days, the thought of knowing every follicle on your head would have been like incalculable. That's a big word, isn't it? I like that word, so I put it in there. It was fine. I'm trying to learn how to say that word. It's words like that that just throw me off, man. But here's Jesus saying that God knows you that intimately. There's nothing that escapes his all-seeing eye. He knows you. Sheila, he knows you that way. He does. Angel, he knows you that way. Supar, he knows you that way. Gabriel, he knows you that way. Yeah, he does. So Jesus finishes by saying, fear not. Fear not. And here's why. You are of more value than even those sparrows. You are of more value than even those sparrows. Friends, do you hear what Jesus is saying here so far? Fear God, not man or any created being. You are not forgotten by God. God knows you more than you can compute. Your value is beyond comprehension. Fear not then, because God is with you. And he is with you. And he is with you. And he who is with you. It's greater than he who is in the world. And he calls you friend. He is mighty. He is strong. He is powerful. But he's also merciful. Because we all know we don't deserve to be known like that. Let's be honest. We can take a poll in the room. Do we deserve to know God like that? But he cares for us like that anyways. Now I'm going to pause for a moment. Because I know some people in here, when they hear stuff like that, they don't believe it. Let me suggest that it's your misplaced fear that is getting in your way. Some in here are truly afraid of people. I'll be the first to say I am sometimes Worried about what they're going to say about you. What they're going to do to you. Friends, the truth you need to believe today is that you are already remembered. Cared for. And there is nothing they can do to you anyways. They can only at best send you to be with Jesus faster, which is better by far. Mm. Some of you here... Are scared of Satan. He is real. He is an enemy, and a crafty and formidable one as as one, as well. But he still has to answer to God. Friends, you need to believe that if you're going to resist the devil and have him flee from you in times of trouble and an intensity of battle. Friends, he may be able to kill the body, but he can't have your soul. Jesus has your soul. God has your soul. And if he's protecting you, he can't have it. Some in here have internal flesh battles. You two are a person, by the way. And believe... Maybe you're too big of a sinner. You fear then is his grace is not sufficient enough to overcome your sinfulness. Is that true church? Is the blood of Jesus sufficient to cover all your sins? Not just some of your sins, but what? All your sins. You can tell yourself that, you and tell Satan when he lies to you. Some in here believe that you're not good enough. Partially true, but your fear then is His grace is not sufficient enough to be your righteousness. Is that true, Church? No. Nope. <laughs> Jesus is your righteousness. Some believe God is not with you. It does not want to work through you. Hey, I get discouraged sometimes in ministry. Does anybody else get discouraged in here sometimes? Sometimes when it's just you at certain places, it's not so easy. Maybe you're at work. You're the only Christian there. Go to Bible study sometimes. And I'm the only guy walking around <laughs> well, this week i was uh I was walking by um myself at Remington and I was prayer walking and God was speaking it was I got to go talk to some people, most were on their way out of the apartment complex they had other things going on, some people were going to do laundry as you know laundry is a thing at the at the the place, man. Laundromats are dang, man. Um, just hearing that struggle sometimes makes me want to like start a laundromat or something. Like, um, but the <laughs> I was walking and praying, and everybody's leaving. I get to the last house, and I go and knock on the door, and a face that I hadn't seen in a while answers. His name is H. I'll just call him H. He answers the door. He's the father of one of the kids that's been coming to Bible study for a long time, almost a decade at this point. I start talking to him, and he starts just opening up, sharing his life with me. starts talking to me about how it's hard for truck drivers right now, that everybody's everybody's being laid off that companies are closing down, and he doesn't know what's going to happen to his family. And I just started talking to him, and I say, Man, you know you can pray, and Jesus can open up doors for you? And for the first time in about a decade, this man who is normally very close, he just goes, hmm? Yeah, hey, kids, go to Bible study. First time he opens the door and says, come in. I walk in the door and I get to spend about 30 minutes praying over their family and sharing the gospel. I was so encouraged. Friends, <laughs> It's, it's so easy to get discouraged and believe that lie, that God does not want to move through you. Which, by the way, it's really easy to forget that God is moving all over the place all the time. Friends, do you know that this year we've had several baptisms? This week we, at the Neighborhood Ministries meeting, we got to share all these celebrations and pop balloons. People are being baptized in our midst. Friends, God is moving. He's doing things. Important things. And sometimes we get distracted being afraid. It's a lie from Satan. Satan loves to speak right to the core of who we are. For me, as I have many fears, one fear of mine might be this, that I'm only worth what I can produce. I'm not worth it to God. I'm not valuable. But look what God says. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Do you believe that, church? You, you, the church and you, more valuable than many sparrows. Jerry, will you believe this? Disciples of Christ in this room, I submit to you today, there is nobody, nothing, More powerful and merciful than our God. Fear not, therefore, you are his. Now preach that to yourself. And friends, that'll preach itself. Jesus ain't done, no. He ain't done. We still got, like, what, four more verses left? So he continues. Verse 8, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also acknowledged before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Friends, Jesus knows what's ahead for him. Ultimately, things were only going to get more hostile between him and his detractors and haters and ultimately lead him to the cross. But let's make this really clear real quick, because I don't want anybody leaving here thinking this. Salvation is not works-based. We are saved through grace alone, through faith alone, according to, like, the whole Bible. But like James says, faith without works is dead. See, James chapter 2. So what Jesus is doing here is challenging everyone, the crowd included, that the fruit of being a friend, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit of being a friend of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, is one who is not afraid to bear witness to Christ before men. But the way he does this is, again, a mixture of warnings and encouragement. So verse nine, eight and nine point to the fact that if you acknowledge Jesus before men, which just means to confess, to make Jesus your boss, your Lord, your Savior before men in a public way, then you will be acknowledged before angels. You see, Jesus is very concerned about this. Here's the ultimate issue. Whether or not one sides with him in a real way. Though he has already given them this warning in the first passion prediction that he had. And you guys remember this as we were going through Luke in chapter 9, verses 26. He says, do not fear. And there's this critical moment. Where the crowds are swelling about and this current situation is happening and he needs to represent present this, he needs to reteach this. Because he knows where he's going. He's going to the cross. Friends, I don't think we can internalize enough what Jesus is doing for his disciples. All his disciples are going to be like him. He reproduced well. And everybody who's going to follow after him, we're going to need to proclaim Jesus before men. And so he presents this courtroom scene in which the Lord Jesus is a judge. And having achieved victory and honor, starts acknowledging those who supported him and then starts disowning those who did not speak of him during this life. He does this publicly before God the Father and the assembled angels, as he says in Luke 9, but he also says in Matthew 12. So here's what Jesus is getting to. You can choose, shame or honor, and it has to do with what you do right now. So pick a side, is what Jesus says. But I want you to know that Jesus will be victorious. There won't be no second-guessing then, but it'll be too late if you're not willing to acknowledge Jesus before men. But what's really cool is that that's the challenge. But here's the encouragement to the, in the good news. And it's really cool actually. Think about this. Our confession of faith, our testimony in the Lord Jesus before men will be honored before the Father and His holy angels. Think about that. How cool is that? When you see a faithful man or woman of God standing before men and boldly proclaiming in faithfulness the things of God and testifying to Jesus, what you're seeing is a person who later will be standing before angels and the Father and will be honored and esteemed. And that's you. That's your sister and brother. Look at your sister and brother real quick. They're going to be so glorious. Hey, tell your neighbor, you're going to be beautiful. You're going to be honored. Isn't that cool? That's dope. And all who will stand before God... And man. And say thus, Jesus is Lord and King of Kings. And remain faithful. Those people are going to be honored before the angels in the heaven. That's awesome. But Jesus continues with some more serious warnings. But again, grace. In verse 10, we get a real hard verse. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This warning is real. Jesus is straight up telling folk. That there is a sin that you cannot come back from. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, people can speak a word by him and be forgiven, but not by the Spirit? Well, friends, while this has been disputed, I think, along with many others, that the context matters a lot to how we should approach understanding this complex verse. If you remember some weeks back, Jesus was doing some dope work by the power of the Spirit. You remember that? But there were some folk who were there who were starting to say some real serious stuff. They started saying, Not that Jesus was of the devil, but that the works he did was done by the power of Beelzebub, or Satan himself. Mm. Now to say the works of God is actually of Satan is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the works of the Spirit of God is a problem. Here's why. When you do that, there is no coming back. If you reject the spirits moving in your midst in the face of the undeniable reality, everybody say undeniable, reality of the works of God by the spirit, then you're in trouble. If you attribute the works of the spirit to the devil, then you're in a dark place so dark the light doesn't even get through Jesus says you won't be forgiven of that because you can't what do I mean by that your heart is like Pharaoh's you guys remember the story of Pharaoh Pharaoh had all kinds of graces in his life Moses came Said what? Let my people go. Pharaoh said, What? <laughs> 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 Pharaoh said, No. All right. Right? No. God was send a plague. Sometimes Pharaoh would respond and say, Go ahead, but then he'd renege. And every time, the Bible pointed to his heart was too hard. See, if you blaspheme the Spirit, your heart is like Pharaoh's. You choose to reject the grace made so plainly to you and are too hard-hearted to realize it. It's determined unbelief, as some theologians would say. And that, my friends, is darkness. Don't let that be you. Jesus says don't let that be you but what I think is really sad sometimes is that the good news that is like dripping it's like dripping from this verse is sometimes overshadowed by this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and what gets overshadowed is that Jesus says even a word spoken against him will be forgiven you mean all those in the crowd who are trying to trap him, who are hating on him, and all those who would eventually spit on him, beat him, mock him, and even blaspheme him and like, like in Luke twenty two sixty five says they blaspheme in the name of Christ. Is God that forgiving that he would allow that to happen? Yep. Yep. Man, Paul tells this story as much, too, that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says he blasphemed the name of Jesus in ignorance. And as he stood before Agrippa in Acts 26, he said he tried, he tried his hardest, y'all, to get people to blaspheme the name of Christ. And that he was a blasphemer of Jesus. But while he was on the way to Damascus, some of y'all know where I'm going with this. But while he was on the way to Damascus, boom, a big light just shined all around him. And him and his friends were like enveloped in it. And he fell off that horse. Woo! God started speaking to him. And he knew, without a shadow of a doubt, what this was. He said, who are you? What? Lord. Who are you, Lord? hmm and Jesus said to him, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And that set Paul on a totally different journey. You see, he spoke a name, he spoke against the name of Jesus. And Jesus was determined more so to have him be his. It, God was not going to be stopped. His plan was not going to be moved. And when that happened, Paul repented and he spent the rest of his life leaving behind his evil ways and having his mind transformed by the renewing of his mind as he stayed on Jesus. See, Paul was the chief of sinners, but he was forgiven. And he bared witness to the very end. Suffering much, yes, but esteemed before the angels in heaven. And more importantly, Jesus is saying it here that he's going to forgive those who do it. But even more so, on the cross. Do you remember this? Jesus, on the cross... One of his last words. What does he say? Forgive them, Father, for what? They do not know what they do. Ignorance. Against his name. Friends, if it wasn't for the grace of God, where would we be? Yeah. Yeah. Would have been lost. Hopeless. But Jesus Christ died on that cross. And He rose from the grave in spite of our best attempts to try to sabotage His plans. Friends, That is how powerful the grace of God is. Can you believe that? Do you believe that? But Jesus isn't done there. We still got two more verses. He ain't done. Verse 11 and 12 says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourselves. Or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And as I'm looking at the clock, I'm running out of time. So let me, let me try to speed it up here a little bit. In short, here's the encouragement from Jesus. Hmm. One day, there's going to be a time when you are brought before rulers and authorities, synagogues. This is Jesus talking. You'll be tempted in those moments to not speak of me, but to give in to fear. You'll be tempted to not acknowledge me before men. But here's my promise to you. You don't have to be anxious or you could translate it distracted about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Now, friends, what Jesus is not saying here is this. He is not saying, don't be prepared. He is saying, take your focus off of you. It's prepping a bad thing. No. Peter says, be ready in season and what? Out of season. Hey, apologetics, being trained in the scriptures, memorizing it, all those things are really good. In fact, it gives access to the Holy Spirit to speak to other people through that. But I think Jesus is after something different here. What he is addressing here is this, an unhelpful posture and a self-focused, fear-based anxiety that is distracting and indeed focused on the wrong stuff. Or rather, it is not focused on the grace that Jesus will provide, namely, the grace to the Holy Spirit. And in that, Jesus is trying to address that fear by telling people that you will not be alone you won't be defenseless about what you ought to say because he says i will give you the helper the holy spirit he will give it to you it's not an if it is a promise do you have confidence that jesus is going to give you the holy spirit in those moments have confidence in the spirit's ability To give you what you need to say when the time comes, church. For them, this would be really relevant. Super relevant. First of all, Jesus didn't say if. Jesus said when you go before. Many times in Acts, the adjoining book with Luke, this very thing would happen. To the disciples of Jesus. They would find themselves in front of synagogues, rulers, authorities. They would be tempted by lashes, beatings, to give up the name of Christ. Somewhere, Definitely persecuted. Some murdered and killed. But although they were unskilled and ordinary, the scripture says every single time the Holy Spirit just like showed up and showed out. So much so that others took that they had been with Jesus. Unskilled, ordinary men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. And the Spirit of God just spoke right through them. And many received Christ or repented or challenged in ways they could not even imagine. For us today, maybe it doesn't seem as relevant, especially here in our context. People across the world, they hear this and they say, yep, But maybe us here, we don't really think about it too much. But there will be a time, and not like some conspiracy theory or anything like that. I'm not saying that there's going to be a time when, you know, anyway, government, all this stuff. I I ain't talking about that. What I'm saying is this. There will be a time that if you walk with Jesus long enough, you will be called to this. In the years to come, you will be called to acknowledge Jesus before men. Some before men of significant earthly powers, rulers, and authorities, and it will be not convenient. Some might be called to account in your workplace, in front of bosses, in front of peers and friends, Teachers in schools. Church, when this happens, can we trust God? Yes, we can. Will he be there for us? Will we be defenseless? Yeah, that's what he says right here. Nope, we'll get the Holy Spirit. In fact, we'll be even more defended than if we try to rely on ourselves. Church, do we have anything to fear besides God? No, because they don't have the authority to have your soul. And my friends, here's your call today. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You see, we might leave here today. And we might start thinking that we need to Just go beat everybody over the head and start acknowledging everybody before men. But that's not what he's getting at either. It's a readiness, it's a posture. Will you be ready, church family, when God calls upon you to acknowledge him before men? And every day, there's probably a million opportunities Probably a million opportunities. And every day God is training you. I was thinking about that this morning. Repenting. Confession of sins. All those things help us to be ready. To acknowledge Jesus before men. And friends, I just don't want fear to dominate my life. I'm tired of it. Are you tired of it? I want more of God's Spirit in my life to where I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? Nothing. What can Satan do to me? Submit myself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Can't do nothing if God doesn't allow it. God is in control. And I, I want this in my life. And I don't want to fear man either. I not want to be afraid. So today, I just want to encourage you. Whatever you got out of this, today, God speaking to you, take that before the Lord and allow him to shape that in you. So that you become more like God's holy, fearless ones who fear not man, but fear God alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this challenge today. And I thank you for the encouragement in many ways. And I thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross of Jesus. And I thank you for the resurrection of Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to fear the right way, which is you. And to put aside all the things that we fear that are not helpful and not worthy to be feared. And Father, in doing so, Lord... I pray that every, every single person in here would go before you at the end of their days being full of the Holy Spirit and in confidence in you and therefore honored before the Father in Heaven and His holy angels and celebrate your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Father, I pray that you would help us today. Lord, if there's any fears in this room that have been a stronghold that Satan's been using in our lives. I pray that you break those and help us to overcome. And I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.